With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then, Judy discovered ChampaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now, Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is a proud member of the FanHub 100. Football without fans is nothing, so we've partnered with FanHub to put fans first. Search FanHub app to play your part in the journey. Hi, I'm David Phillips, and you're listening to the 1865 Forest Ramble. I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the 1865 Forest Ramble. It is the 28th of March and we're here to review the last month at the City Ground. Uh, so I say welcome to you, listener. I say bienvenue to Baz. Morning. I say willkommen to Tom. Welcome. Hello. I say, <laughs> I say benvindo to Stephen. Good morning. And I say ayot me duck to the Maradona of the Midlands. Namaste. Right, well, we're going to start with something that has uh, captured a lot of Forest fans' imagination in the last week or so. The long-awaited interview by the Supporters' Trust with NFFC Chairman Nicholas Randall, QC, and quite a few uh, interesting themes. Everyone in the group has obviously watched it and paid attention. So, Baz, I'm going to start with you. What were your first impressions and were there any particular Easter eggs you'd like to pick out? Um, the key thing that I took away from it was every single answer he talked about putting the fans first, which is an interesting... Well, so, so obviously there's been a lot of complaints about how Forrest treat the fans and how, how our reaction, our interactions with the fans are uh, between the club and, and the and the the fans and so the fact that he was positioning himself in that way I thought was really really interesting so he's obviously been thinking about that a lot certainly in terms of the interview. Tom let's go straight to that then because I'm going to revert back to a couple of things that you've mentioned to us in conversation and you took some pelters on Twitter recently because you were talking about 
well, we've talked about Brentford as a model club in this division, but you were also talking about Norwich when Forrest played Norwich. And uh, as I say, you, uh, you wound up a few Canaries fans, didn't you? Um, I did, and I still have the same opinion now. Um, with Norwich, for whatever reason, if they think that's the right model to go down, then fair enough. But I just think that, as we all know, the Championship is one of the hardest um, divisions to get out of. And I just thought it was slightly naive that, when they eventually do get promoted to the Premier League, um, it's like, oh, if we go down, we can come back up. Well, that's not actually a guarantee, you see. And I just thought that in the season when they were in the Premier League last, around about the November, December period, I thought they just down tools and like were going down here. And I just thought that I don't, I don't know if Norwich fans are happy with that. They maybe are, they maybe not. But when you're there, just give it a bit more of a go. But I thought they just didn't really recruit as much as. Um, other teams and I just thought yeah they were just like accepting the fact that they're, they're going down um, pretty much a couple of months into that season. How about Sheffield United? They spent a bit of money, they've stayed up and then this season's been a disaster. It's been proven that their big money signings, especially up front, haven't been worth the money and when they come down in you know, a few days' time at this rate. Um, even with Premier League riches they'll have lost money on wages and players who they can they'll need to offload. Yeah, I mean, that, on the flip side, that is the yeah, the risk you take that you set up with, like, a, um, a big squad players that probably don't necessarily want to be there. But I, I just think with Sheffield United, I think they, they were really good last season. Obviously, um, they stayed up comfortably and I think they've been found out a bit. And like I said, the recruitment has not been as good as they wanted it to be. But like I said, with the parachute payments, again, even though they've got, like, and they'll have some debt or whatever. It's, they will still have a really strong squad to basically get back up again um, next season. So I just think it's like sometimes the risk you take is that if you don't recruit properly like we have, um, further down the line you do um, get punished for it. I'm just going to throw out there, thank you Tom by the way, I'm just going to throw out there that there is the idea that Norwich, the way that they did it, they more or less kept their squad together. So they sold Ben Godfrey. They've sold Jamal Lewis. We talked about this in our match report with Norwich fan Tyrone Bradford. But they recruited a handful of players. And so they kept that core squad together. Whereas Sheffield United, they're kind of going to have to dismantle. The manager's gone. We know that there's non-football issues there as well. But there's going to be players probably leaving. So they're going to maybe have to start again in a slightly different way. Now, Maradon the Midlands... I'm going to come to you and the other club that people talk about in good and bad ways is Brentford, because in good ways, they've got a really, really sound recruitment model, which uh, in terms of FFP is standing them in really, really good stead. However, the accusation is, well, they've still not gone up though, have they? Wouldn't you rather be Brentford than Forest at the moment though? Yeah, definitely. Um, I I think just looking at, results on the pitch is slightly sh- a short-term view because you look at what the infrastructure they've uh, created there, the new stadium, and let's face it, Brentford, for most of our lives, have been a, a third-division club. and I never would have thought they'd be sort of as strong as they are now, um, playing the sort of football they do um, and being a sort of model for clubs like Forest to aspire to. So um, I, I really don't see that there's any any room for criticism for Brentford. It's just maybe they've had a, a lack of squad strength, a bit of lost a bit of form last season, uh, and maybe it's going to happen again this season. But from where they've come from to where they are now, they have done absolutely brilliantly well and done it without sort of 
wasting millions and millions of pounds and played good football to boot. And with regards to the way in which Brentford go on there, you mentioned that kind of short-termism. Is it short-termism for the way that Forrest do things? Because obviously the accusation and one that Nick Randall did comment upon in his interview is, yeah, we've probably signed too many players. We've, We've gone overboard with the recruitment. But he also tempered that by saying, but not as much as a lot of fans are saying. What are your thoughts? No, I, I think they definitely did do short-term thinking there. I mean, we've had the model in our in our own club for the past 30, 40 years. The, the, the perfect model for a club the size of Forest is to bring in, bring through as many young players as he can, try and find some young players from lower leagues, and then when just add the cherry on top with a few big-name signings. And Cluffy did that. We saw it again under Paul Hart. And uh, Dave Bassett, to an extent, did that as well. Uh, and we've just, we've had it right in front of us. And we've just not looked at history and not looked at what makes a sustainable club. These last, I mean, it's just, it's been absolutely bonkers, the, um, the transfer policy in the last couple of years. Um, Nick Randall mentioned that they did well the summer before, but and I'm now thinking that it's, it's just a, such a scattergun approach that one or two signings are going to work out well. If you're going to sign 30 players, three of them are going to be good players. It's just, I just don't see any logic or, or um, uh, calculated thinking about when we make these signings. Baz, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, just um, so one, Nick Randall made the point that Matty Cash is basically what balanced the books for us and what, what kept us going, um, which is a obviously an academy thing. But I think part of the problem we're going to have with that sustainable model, and I mean, I'm, I'm all in favour of the sustainable model, but I think there is a significant problem which a lot of people don't see, which is the way scouting works in this country now means if you are a talented player and you're six years old and you're a ta- you've got some talent at football you're going to go to Man City that's it that's how it works and if you don't go to Man City you'll go to one of the other big clubs in the Premier League and it doesn't matter where you live in the country and it doesn't matter what's going to happen to you you will be discovered and you will go to one of the top clubs and that by necessity means that the players that we have coming through aren't going to be necessarily the the very highest quality players that come that are there's going to be the odd one or two but it's not going to be like it was 20 years ago and tom you wanted to come in there um yeah on top of that is that uh, on the leicestershire nottinghamshire border uh, leicester have just built a 80 million pound training complex and Let's face it, Leicester are not be, going to be relegated to the Championship anytime soon. And I just think that, I know if I was, I've got plans in place to try and get Cat 1 status, but I just thought that was like, it's not been, you know, with um, Forest fans, not a lot's been made of that. But seeing that's so close to the Nottinghamshire board, it's, Forest have basically got to get the, like, um, get the noses in there first to try and get the best talent. You like say you're competing with like Derby who have got Cat One status and less than I think we need to do it so we don't fall behind in that aspect of um, obviously the scouting and getting young, the best young talent from the East Midlands. You see, so yeah. Stephen, I'm going to come to you with a couple of things there. So, firstly, um, 
Chris Hewton had mentioned in a recent interview, and this hasn't really been picked up, but he mentioned that because of COVID, actually his ability to do scouting on opposition and for the scouting team, presumably Gary Brazil and, and, and his staff, to go out and do scouting on other players has been massively restricted. Is that something that we should be paying more attention to? It's, it's definitely a factor, but I would imagine that's the same for every other manager and every other team in the division. That uh, you can't travel to games, you can't watch players in the flesh. You've got to rely on videos and perhaps videos that your own uh, analysts, in, in club analysts, haven't even put together. So it, it probably does affect the way that we scout and the way that we're trying to, to source players. Um, and given the the short-term nature of football, we probably do, as fans, we are sometimes guilty of overlooking those little nuances, like how scouting's been affected and the effect that COVID is having on finances and the way clubs are being run at the moment because there's no revenue coming through the doors. It's probably not as big a deal for the Premier League clubs because they've got the TV revenue to, to sustain them and, and to keep them going. But certainly if you start dropping down and um, it just becomes more evident that, you know, fans through the gates is, is vital, bringing in revenue. And I would, I would hope sooner rather than later when things start to open up again that maybe Chris Hewton with his experience, if he's, if he's got the ability to do his job to his absolute maximum, that... It, you know, it will be of a real benefit to Forrest and perhaps he's got a hand tied behind his back through circumstances, not of his own making or the club's making. It's just the current situation. Um, but we do have to look as a club now where we can maximise, where we can also be um, a little bit more thrifty uh, and, a, and a bit more clever in, in how we run and how we operate. And little things like the Cat 1 status is an example of that. And hopefully trying to get the stadium development over the line to increase commercial revenue and increase capacity for when fans are back in the grounds. And although Nick Randall didn't comment particularly on Cat 1 or the stadium, he did talk about the importance of fans and sustainability. And he made a point as well relating to on-pitch matters, Stephen, where he's saying that COVID and the COVID lockdown may have had a significant effect on Forest team falling away last season. What do you think? I got the impression that it was a very tight-knit group under Sabri Lamucci in that season. And perhaps the, the lockdown affected us in a way that that social element, that tight-knit togetherness just started to fall away and, and perhaps the morale and and that had an effect on on the team and its performance. But also as well, I think it, there were several factors. The fact it was such a tight-knit squad probably worked against us because we didn't have the depth coming off the bench to to strengthen and improve, certainly in games, you know, and, and hold on to results and ultimately hold on to our league position. I mean, I look at, I understand the point that, that Nick Randall's making there, but I also think, it's the same for every other club in the division. And you've just got to find a way of, of dealing with that as best you can. And perhaps our scattergun approach of bringing in players from all over the place hasn't been the best way to deal with it because you're not building a togetherness. You're not building a core group of players. You're 
throwing in 15 new players in in the space of two months over a summer transfer window and they can't spend time together to really get to know one another and, and gel as a squad and maybe that's that's something that's really held us back. Maradon, the Midlands, we talked there about the effect on last season and how it all fell apart and, and clearly the club have felt a massive hangover in playing terms this season and it's taken Chris Hewton up until, well, most up until Christmas, really, to try and get over that. I ran a poll on Twitter and asked people who's been yeah, the best NFFC manager of the last few years. And I gave the last four managers, Hewton, Lamushi, O'Neill and Karanka. And Sabri is coming out really quite strongly at 61% as being the favourite of those who voted. You were critical of certain things under Sabri in terms of the playing style, but moving away from the actual playing style, and thinking about things like transfers, how much do you think that the transfer policy in the summer was Sabri? Because the club said, we're giving the manager a bit more say. Well, they didn't say it, but they made it clear that that's what they thought that they, thought they were doing. How much do you think that that was down to Sabri? I, I don't think it was entirely down to Sabri. There's just so many different people involved at the club, I, I, can't, I can't believe that they just said, yes, I'll be signed who you want. And and there's a such, from, from such random sources, some of the players, I'm, I'm sure he would have had a hand in one or two, but there's just so many different players from so many different sources. I find it hard to believe that it was just, just Sabri on his own. Um, yeah, and, and I think that was a contributing factor to so many different players coming in. It made it very, very difficult pre-season and to get a settled team together um, uh, at the beginning of the season. It it contributed to Sabri's failure. And uh, crucially as well, bearing in mind that Sabri did favour a tight-knit squad last season, I'd be surprised if he'd actually said, yes, I'd like to get 12 different players in when they don't have a chance to socialise together, to even go around each other's house and play Xbox or PS5 or whatever it is that they do, uh, or to play golf together. I can't. I'd be surprised if Sabri had kind of sanctioned that. Um, do you think that um, the club are showing any signs of having learned from that? Because Nick Randall is saying, "Yeah, we've learned from it." Time will tell. I mean, um, they can't keep on signing that many players. We've got such a huge squad already. Um, I don't know how we're going to get rid of a few of the left backs this season. I maybe maybe they will. Maybe we'll get rid of two or three of them. I, I don't know. Um, but you hope they have learned. But I've, I've, I did lose a lot of confidence in them over the over the past year. It's just um, last January and last summer have just I've, I've shattered any sort of confidence I had in our recruitment process. I mean, what what encapsulates it for me is. We spent, as I reported, four and a half, five million pounds on Mbeso. Um, well, we didn't need another centre back, and Brentford bought Ivan Tony for the similar sort of money. Um, Kiefer Moore and Jamal Lowe went for sort of a combined fee of that sort of money. Um, it's just that sort of crazy, crazy transfers that are just absolutely snookered us this year. So um, I don't. I think they're going to have to work really well. And really hard to uh, to build that trust up again for me. Tom, um, 
looking back on last summer's um, recruitment, um, if you look at, I think Lyle Taylor and um, Bashiru was like the first couple of signings, and I think they, you could say they were um, Sabri's signings, then it seems to me that, I don't know how if I'm right or what, is that, oh look, we can, you know, when Fulham got promoted, it's like, well, we don't like want the likes of um, Harry Archer and Christie, and it was like a matter of, oh, look, these are available, let's go for these because they've got Fulham promoted. And I think that's what's basically happened. So Sabri got his place who he wanted because everybody wanted Lyle Taylor last summer because of his um, performances for Charlton. And then obviously got McKenna because we're probably, because Dawson's not getting any um, younger. Then Sabri would probably happy with that. Then the club would think, oh, we can get this player, this player, and this player to get us over the line. And that's hence why we've, Got like a huge squad of um, the 15 players on top of what Sabri got last year. So I just think it was like the first few signings were Sabri's signings, and the club have turned around and said, Look, we can add to this and add more quality. And I think that's the case, really. In and, my look, opinion. and Tom, looking at the January transfer business, which seems to have been more obviously driven by Chris Hewton from the outside, do you think that's a sign that the club have thought, Oh crap, we got that massively wrong? Let's put more faith in the manager yeah I, um, yeah I do because if you look at the players I mean he knows um, Clem Moy from his writing days um, we needed a bit more creativity so we've got Kravinovic so yeah I do think Chris Hutton's had a say in that one but um, like Maradona of the Midlands has said let's see if that's uh, still the case uh, in the summer when we need to recruit better and get better players in and get rid of let's say the so-called Deadwood I'm going to come to you, partly to do with Brentford, because Nick Randall said selling Matty Cash and getting a good deal. And let's be honest, we got a good deal for Matty Cash. That has offset the losses and losses for next year are lower despite the impact of COVID, he says. Also, is there a difference there between the fact that if Brentford don't go up, they can sell one. So they signed Ollie Watkins on good money. They sell him on. Uh, if they don't go up this year, they can sell Ivan Tony because they paid, what, five, six million for him. And then they can sell him on for way into double figures, huge amounts of money. Um, so is, is there a huge amount of difference in that strategy in the sense of if we don't go up, we sell a player and we use that to, to invest in the squad again? Um. It is the same. It's it's in on on paper. It's the same thing. But we've also got fifteen surplus players who are probably on massive wages. So, um, to, to and I don't. I doubt that many the, the Brent Brentford's like like one of us said earlier is like putting that little cherry on the top. That seems to be what Brentford's plan is. Whereas we just chuck cherries in wherever we can. And um, I think that's um, part of the, I mean, Zach Clough's the, the obvious example. It's like, it's taken us, what, five years to get rid of him? And presumably he was on big wages all that time. So oh, we're, we're building a legacy for ourselves that's going to shoot ourselves in the foot in the future. Um, what I did think was interesting was Nick Randall basically said the transfer policy starts and begins with the manager. What he didn't say was, when did that transfer policy come in? Which is... <laughs> Um, yeah. But but this this yeah as you, as we've said this this transfer window did seem to be controlled by Chris Hutton. It's whether we continue with that and whether what the situation was in summer. I, I think as well Nick Randall made the point. Everyone makes mistakes. It's important that you learn from them. It's we're going to see if the club has learned from them. That's the real thing. And I, 
Also, Baz, you, you did the interview recently with Kieran Maguire, our football finance expert, which obviously is on our feed. Uh, do check that out if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, Kieran Maguire obviously uh, gave quite a lot of interviews when Forest financial figures were, were released. And you managed to get a little bit of a different take from him than maybe some of the other media outlets, didn't you? Um The the bits that I thought were really, one of the bits that I thought was incredibly interesting was he was basically saying um, clubs in the championship, they can choose to be sustainable or they can choose to make a loss. The clubs that were sustainable get relegated. The clubs that make a loss go up. But then to couple with that, once they're in the Premier League, you'd think the extra money would make a difference. They tend to be profitable in their first season and then they make a loss in the second season because they have to spend to stay up. And if that spending works, then they stay up and make a loss. And if that spending fails, then they go down and make a bigger loss. So it looks like it's a no-win situation if you're, if you're running a football club, basically. And I could refer to Sheffield United again because obviously they've signed Rian Brewster is the obvious one, but they paid big money for Ollie McBurney. Players who haven't scored enough goals to, for their worth and, and they're going to end up coming down and players are going to leave and they have to start again, new manager and so on. So there is that danger. And I know I'm repeating myself there. The other thing that Kieran Maguire said, which was interesting, was coming back to fans, wasn't it? That fan expectation. If you try and run a sustainable club, then generally your fans are going to get pissed off with you. I thought it was quite interesting when he was saying there's two types of owner. There's the sustainable owner and then there's the trophy owner. And I'm just looking back at our relatively recent history um, and um, we've had both. And we're we're kind of on the fence as to where our current owner sits on that one. So, um, so yeah, it's, 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 it was an interesting take on it. Basically, the, the trophy owner chucks money at it because it's like owning a racehorse or owning a massive yacht. And uh, the sustainable owner takes loads and loads of grief from the fans. Uh, again, a no-win situation, it would appear. And, and just to on that theme, so Brentford, you could argue they've got a, a bit of sustainability and they're chasing success. But then other people's fans, and presumably some Brentford fans, because we know that Football fans are a fickle bunch. They're going, yeah, but we've not. You've not gone up, have you? So what's the <laughs> point? Well, and and I think part there, there is a part of our legacy which you'd hope is kind of going out of it, but I don't think it is. Which is, we are a big club, and everyone says, "Oh, we deserve to be in the Premier League." So our expectations are necessary, as as the Maradona of the Midlands was saying. Brentford have come from from a much lower standing, so their expectations are different. There, there will be a significant proportion of their fans who are just amazed at where they are. And there's a significant proportion of our fans who think we don't belong where we are. Whereas actually the last 20 years have shown that we do. Uh, Marriage on the Midlands, you quite frequently make the point that when you were growing up, you think of Chelsea as being a second division team and Man City as a second division team. So times change though, don't they, Marriage on the Midlands? They do, unfortunately, yes, they do. <laughs> and... <laughs> Just to come to you as well, uh, there's this idea that uh, maybe it's nice that Nicholas Randall came out and gave this interview. Uh, and then David Johnson went on Twitter and he was saying, oh, Nick Randall's a nice man, but he's not a football man, is he? Is that something that worries you? Not really. He doesn't have to be a football man. Um, a vast section of the work. Football club has, has really got nothing to do with 
football per se. It's just running a uh, a well-run business, and which we under Fawaz we weren't doing at all anyway. So um, in that in that sense, no. As long as he's got football people in the football department, and say like we've got Chris Hutton now, who who is a, an expert in football, and if they give him his um, his 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 own head to sort of go and make the some decisions and put some sensible policies in in, in place. I've got no fears whatsoever. It doesn't necessarily need a, a football expert in that position. Um, just yeah, I, I don't think it's such a problem. He, he did come across as a nice man, although it was the interview. I'm guessing they they didn't put all of the questions that the fans are putting in into uh, into the um, the trust. It was it was quite. It was quite a, an easy interview, I'd say. He didn't pick really, really hard questions to ask him, um, and I guess he he has to be careful, otherwise the the club cut access. But yeah, it was it was interesting enough. Um, without, it's, it, I mean, it's hard not to say it wasn't just a PR exercise. But you know, he said what he had to say. Well, and on that topic, uh, Stephen. Lastly, before we move on to other things. There's an article by Danny Taylor that's been released just this morning, just before we uh, started recording. And he's saying, oh, there's all these other questions that could be could be asked. And it's easy for Danny Taylor as a journalist to say that. I think uh, it's worth remembering the Supporters Trust have a particularly kind of difficult balancing act there. But one of the things that he does say is he's talking about PR. So he's talking about Johnny Owen's role at the club. He's talking about the fact that Nick Randall, it's always Nicholas Randall QC. And and he speaks well, as you'd expect from somebody who's got his vast legal experience. Uh, I thought he put in a really good performance, actually, Nick Randall. Um, should it have been Yanis Rantsos or Mr. Maranakis making more public statements or maybe even doing that interview? When you look at the setup of the club, I don't think Maranakis is, wants to be in the limelight and, and facing questions head on. I think he appoints people to to to, to oversee that for him and, and the running of the club. So that would be Nick Randall. That would be day to day running as well of the media team. So Johnny Owen, as you've mentioned, Vrensos is an interesting one because. He probably sits somewhere in between and really should, by accounts, be held a bit more accountable for, for what's happened in terms of recruitment and the way the club's being run. But it, it seems like he's a bit of a, an elusive character as well and uh, somebody who doesn't want to come out and, and, and speak to the media. And perhaps he's 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 looking at Nick Randall and that's... He's become the figurehead, Nick Randall. So he's that that public-facing figure who speaks well and who can put across the club message in, in quite an eloquence. And he he does speak very clearly, Randall. I don't think he he, put, he gives you waffle or too much spin. I think he does he, he does speak clearly and quite direct. It's just perhaps through no fault of his own, some of the the statements he comes out with are contradictory on the basis of the way that the club's been run and and kind of the actions we've seen. So to say we've had a scattergun approach and it, it's not been good enough. Yes, it's great that you, you're acknowledging that, but what we're going to do about it? Have we now changed and have we now gone down a slightly different path? 
it's I, yeah, I think I, I personally would like to see Vrensos come out and and face the music a little bit more, but I, I just don't see it happening, to be honest with you. I think it's it'll be left to the likes of Nick Randall to to be that figurehead and that spokesperson, if you like. Thank you. We'll leave that topic there, and we're going to take a short break. So coming up afterwards, we're going to be talking about Forrest's recent results, their form, and the running. Can Forrest actually get on a little bit of run of form before the season ends? We're also going to talk about Lewis Graben, and we'll hear from you, the fans. But first, it's time for Jeremy with the Forest Ramble sketch. They say that the way a team plays reflects the personality of its manager. They don't often say the same of a club chairman, which, if Nicholas Randall QC's interview is anything to go by, should come as a huge relief to Forest fans. And clearly, you don't get to be a successful sports barrister, the legal kind, that is, not the ones that make the coffee, working with the likes of Kevin Keegan without being a good communicator and having a knack for winning an argument. But purely on the basis of that interview, because after all, you're only as good as your last performance, just ask San Marino's goalkeeper, who has ascended to the ranks of the goalkeeping greats, like Shilton, Southall, Yashin and Lee Camp, all rolled into one on the back of making a few decent saves from Jesse Lingard. He's like former FHM and Graham Kelly, described in the fantastic Italian 90 book All Played Out as a complete charisma bypass without the squeaky voice. You can take the barrister out of the courtroom, of course, but it seems you can't take the legalese out of the lawyer, because he did dress up some of his responses in terminology that seemed to me, let's say, not quite what you drop into casual conversation. He talked about his first three years being a good linear progression. A linear being a term I've not come across too often in football outside of a flat back four. Given that it means moving in a straight line, it's hard to square with the very obvious change of direction that came when they got shot of Karanka. Admitting that mistakes had been made, repeatedly, seemed a brave admission in a football context. After all, a player who repeatedly makes mistakes gets dropped pretty quickly, don't they? But he was keen to clarify that he wasn't referring to getting a bad deal on photocopiers which must have come as a great relief to those of us old enough to remember the late 90s, who will appreciate just how crucial it is to have your IT equipment in good working order. Who can forget Glenn Hoddle explaining away a damning newspaper extract from his book on the World Cup, but with, at the end of the day, the fax machine was broken. Whether it was also as sick as a parrot has never been revealed. Short-termism in player recruitment was one problem the chairman identified, which must have come as a shock revelation for fans after we signed a 37-year-old striker on deadline day. Although when he talked about short-termism, he could have been referring to the fact that my children have just broken up for their school holidays after three weeks back in the classroom. Another interesting idiom was his use of the passive form. Rather than owning the decision about discounts for season ticket holders, he avoided any pronouns, referring instead to views being taken and commercial decisions having to be made, which ever so subtly made him seem like a victim of circumstance rather than the one taking the view. Or maybe being passive was just a nod to Lewis Graben. All in all, I'm glad I tuned in, if only because I've been having trouble sleeping. And it's good to know that, come what may on the pitch, when it comes to photocopiers, the club's in good hands. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the Forest Ramble sketch, uh, talking about a few things that we've been, been on our mind over the last uh, week or so. Let's move on. Uh, There's an article on The Athletic about Lewis Graben, an interview with him, and 
Paul Taylor did ask him about the captaincy and about the perceptions of Lewis Graben as a player. And Graben actually was, was, was kind of combative, but in a, in a nice, gentle way. Tom, what did you make about the Graben interview? Uh, I think it was pretty decent, to be honest. And uh, I think when, I think Graben, uh, Lewis Graben touches on it in the interview that his running style is not um, obviously easy on the eye in a certain way. And I think because when fans aren't in stadiums, which is already mentioned, uh, that we probably don't see the what he actually does for the whole game, etc. Um, I mean, yeah, his, his injuries have uh, been quite telling this season where he's... He's been playing, he gets injured, he comes back and he's probably not as sharp. But I just think the way Graben is, and I think um, a lot of it comes down to um, his cameo appearance in the Sunderland uh, documentary, is that um, I just think because he doesn't speak a lot and he doesn't do this, doesn't do that, probably fans have like the wrong perception of him. And because he's not been like scoring as many goals as he was last season for, if you could say, fitness, uh, lack of service. Uh, I think it's always going to come back that uh, he's only scored, what, three goals this season? And I think that's going to be, people are going to be quite critical of uh, he hasn't been doing it. But like I says, I think a lot of it's down to match sharpness, fitness, and uh, etc. and lack of service. So uh, I think it was a decent interview. He got his point across. But uh, like um, we touched on earlier in uh, the pod is that uh, not everybody's going to be um, happy in terms of, you know, with the Nick Randall um, interview and with the Lewis Graben one, it's not going to please everybody, is it? Right on the Midlands, uh, I think that Lewis Graben, uh, when he he's always been a streaky goal scorer, and without going over ground that we've covered in previous podcasts, he's always had that thing of having a few games where he'll score and a few games where he doesn't. I think. Do you think that a lot of fans are being unfair to him by throwing? in pelters this season when he's actually proven over the previous two that if you play him he will get goals that other players won't yeah I think that there is a there is some truth in that um the, the biggest problem is that he, he hasn't played this season um and the, I think that it has come out from the interview or in the, in the aftermath that his head was turned um in the summer when when the opportunity to uh go to the Middle East arose um, and I think that did affect him and I think that that's maybe left a little bit of suspicion in people's minds over the course of the season about the injuries that none of the injuries seemed particularly severe that there may be injuries where he sort of played a match and then suddenly it's come come to light afterwards that he won't be available in the next match just things like back strains hip problems um, which aren't necessarily the worst injuries in the world and some people may say at another time he would have played through them. Um, the main problem is he hasn't played though. That's that's the thing. So if, you, if, if you're the, the the highest paid player at the club and you then you're also made captain, um, if you're not playing, it's it's gonna it's gonna raise questions about you, um, and you just have to deal with that. If if, if he's, he's not the most gregarious of personalities. Um, and and hasn't really shown that sort of leadership you'd say you'd want from a normal captain. Say, I mean, Stuart Pearces and Colin Coopers and all the other players down the years that you want somebody going around shouting at people, getting into car, let's go, gene them up. You don't see that from Lewis, so that that's going to draw criticism as well. But yeah, if he can't play, if he doesn't play, he doesn't score goals, and that's 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 been a major problem this season. 
just just briefly before I move on, Marriage on the Midlands, that kind of swashbuckling captain. So we've got that with Joe Worrell, uh, but generally you don't get that kind of captain anymore, do you? No, I mean, how many clubs do? Um, when you look at somebody like Henderson at Liverpool, he when he plays, there's a big difference. You see him going around, sort of ging up his players. Um, I can't think of any other captains now. Now that you put me on the spot, but, <laughs> but yeah, I think you do. You, 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 I think I think I I as a fan still want to see that from a captain. Sort of going around, um, you have two. It's always said you have two sort of captains: one who does that, and the other one who sort of leads by example. And he's sort of not been able to do either this season because he's not scored any goals and and not played particularly well. Um, and so that, that's obviously going to draw criticism. Well, Baz, coming to you, you're somebody who's always really positive about the work that strikers do off the ball, even when they're not in front of goal. And you've always been really, really positive about the amount of work that Lewis Graben does. And just briefly, a captaincy issue. I don't want to milk that too much, but Graben himself said it's really hard being the captain when you're, when you're up front. Because everything's behind. Uh, yeah, and um, actually, there's, there's, yeah. So one, I think, because we're watching on screens at the moment, it is very hard to capture all that work that he does do off the ball. But as I say, any striker would say they need a run of games to to be able to get that that momentum going with them. The other thing is just about captaincy in general. I think the game has changed, and I keep reading about and hearing about the way that managers approach games. They have playbooks. And it's much more like the American football style. When you're in this situation and the opposition is over here, then I want you to do this. So having a captain who's loud and and shouts at people and says, do this, do this, then they're basically breaking the manager's playbook by doing that. So maybe that just that the nature of football has changed and that kind of captaincy isn't needed anymore. Well, that's the argument, isn't it? Uh, in terms of grabbing, I mean... The, th- the trouble that we have sometimes is that there is a bit of a vacuum of information, especially COVID doesn't help that as well. The fact that uh, the journalists don't get to hang around at the training ground and so on. And they've just got a few minutes via Zoom uh, to talk to players and staff and so on. Um, has that been something that, again, has affected that perception by fans in terms of for example, Graben's problems with not only form, but fitness. I think the whole of the last year with the club and the fans has been a problem of communication and um, lots and lots of stuff that has happened has possibly spun out of control a little bit because it could have been nipped in the bud, but because the communication... Nick Randall actually said, uh, to go back to the interview, he said... The club has been one that wanted to prove what it does through actions, not words. And actually with COVID, it's not been possible to do that. So, yes, yeah, so again, it's stand, just standing up and saying this is how it is and making yourselves more available, grabbing especially, that probably would have made a big difference over the course of the last few months. As the captain, um, obviously now we're seeing him do more press than he's ever done in that time before. I mean, sometimes so the kinds of things that gain traction, particularly on social media, but radio phone-ins and stuff, it's just ridiculous. So I, I genuinely saw someone, after he'd done one of his Zoom press conferences, he's wearing a green sweater, and someone went on saying, he's an absolute disgrace with that green sweater, he should be wearing a club tracksuit or something like that. Stephen, come on, some fans contribute to the problem, don't they? 
Oh yeah, they do. I think there's there's fans out there who've got too much time on their hands. And okay, let's move on. No, um, keep going. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's just we all feel disconnected from the club at the moment because of the, the current situation. We're all frustrated that we can't go to the games and, and watch them in person. And there, there's probably been that that disconnect developed just because of the situation going on in the world at the moment. But yeah, sometimes fans have got to take a step back and and just have a have a think about what they're saying and and what they're expecting from players as well. And yeah, I just I just don't get it personally. You know, and it it create it whips up a frenzy where there doesn't need to be one. Mm. I'm going to move on in terms of topics, Stephen, but I'm going to stay with you because we're going to talk about Forest form and not for the first time this season. When we completed our February roundup, we were feeling all right. And we said, well, there's actually, if we'd won the Derby match, we could have ended up top half of the table very, very briefly. Since then, we've not won a match. And way back, I think it was in when we did November's podcast, we were saying, oh, yeah, Chris Hewton's first month has gone quite well. Forrest could maybe conceivably go on and, and, and have a good season now. Is the lesson here to never have any hope? Because we haven't won a match since. Are you talking about this season or the last 20 years? It's, yeah. It's, Take uh, your pick. Yeah. Um, well, you've, I think you've got, to have, you've got to have that bit of hope. You've got to have that something to... To keep you going, if you're if you if you're just going to be pessimistic all the time, then I don't think you you're going to get the enjoyment out of football. It's as we as the old saying goes, it's the hope that kills you, and you've got to have that hope and something to to hang your hopes on to hope that things get better for your team and and you've got something to look forward to. And I think there's been moments throughout the season where where there have been positives. Uh, certain performances, and I think the most recent performance at Brentford was an example of that. To go to one of the top seat, top sides in this division, a side that's fighting for automatic promotion, and to go there and dominate possession against against them and uh, and play very well for for the most part, that's a positive and a, and a sign that the team's moving in the right direction. But I think. It, it it was always going to be a bit of a write-off this season. That The aim was to stay up and I don't think you could have expected us to go and win 10 on the bounce and suddenly find ourselves in, in the playoff mix. I, I just never thought that was on. For me, it was always about get to the end of the season. Similar job for Chris Hewton as what he did at Brighton. Just get them safe that first season and then build from there. So um, probably... Uh, to round off the question and come full circle, I'm more hopeful about next season. So let's see how that works out. Okay, thank you, Mr. Optimistic. Um, and let's move to Mr. Pessimistic, Married on the Midlands. Um, after that Brentford match, Forest fans were really enthused by the performance and they felt a little bit of optimism there. Uh, Thomas Frank came out afterwards and said, actually, if you look at the way in which for Brentford played we had good chances we could have won it 4-1 and of course Forest fans roundly <laughs> roundly jumped on him for doing that um so it just goes to show though a good performance getting a better result than we might have expected because on another desk you know for all Forest were good Brentford could still have won that match yeah um I mean they missed a couple of glaring chances uh you think back to uh Bongs here and that, that really should have been a goal but um 
at this point we're so low. It was, it was, yeah. Um, we're so low as a fan base. We've been taking so many kickings over the years that any any sort of ray of light we sort of grasp onto it. It's um, and 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 you have to. That's that's why why we, we're football fans. We we want to see our team doing well. Um, so yes, that gives you a bit of optimism. But the net, the nature of Forest this season, the next game they can quite conceivably go and lose and play terribly again. Is it, it's sort of pivoted on one or two players. I mean, Kravinovic coming in has made a big difference because we've finally got a player who can control the ball and does Harry and does all the things that you need a player to do in that position. Um, but it's, I mean, it's very fragile. Our, our confidence as a team is very fragile. Our confidence as a as a support is very fragile. And it's it's a big, big, big rebuilding job for Chris Hughes in the summer. Uh, Tom? The three best performances I can think of in recent times and probably over the course of this season were away to Swansea, away at Derby and away at Brentford. So we got two points out of nine. And in particular, Swansea, I think we all felt really gutted after that one. Derby, we did for obvious reasons. <clears throat> Is there a significance that those are away matches? Uh, I, I... Um, possibly. I think when you go away from home, you set up differently. And I think, uh, but in those games, we like started on the front foot. And I don't think we've uh, done that really at home uh, for, for whatever reason. I just thought that, um, yeah, with the Swansea game, we like kept the ball really well against Derby for the like our first hour or so. We kept the ball pretty well. And Brentford, after they got their um, penalty, um, we played it around. And I think... In those games, I think which is quite telling is that the tempo has been quite good. I think when we when we're like a bit passive in how we play, I think that's when we struggle. But you know, when we've played with a bit of tempo and a bit of purpose, then we've looked a lot easier on the eye. And I, but I can't work out why it's just in away games at the moment that our best performances have been. Rather, than, I mean, when we played Norwich a few weeks ago, we looked like the away side of like camping in and getting eleven men behind the ball, and they just like passed it around us for fun. And uh, I mean, people say in the second half that the we was a bit better, but the game had gone um, at that point. And um, but I, yeah, I just thought that uh, in recent games, is that um, yeah, when we're a bit um, better with the tempo, we are a lot well, look a lot better football inside. Baz, I think it's something I've talked about quite a lot on social media, uh, in, especially in the aftermath of that Brentford match, is that. This season hasn't been pretty, and I don't think it's going to be particularly pretty, but there were signs in, for example, the the Derby match and the Swansea match that actually Chris Hewton has made an impact in terms of steadying the ship. You look at our goals against Conham, and that's not been too bad with one or two exceptions. And you see that those matches, and you see that actually there's potentially a chance that he wants to get the team playing with a bit of rhythm, which is something that's been lacking for most of the season. Does that give you a bit of hope in terms of the running where apart from Cardiff, maybe QPR and potentially Stoke, we've got a relatively kind running? I think, yes, you're right in that, yes, Cuton's job to this season was steady the ship and he's, 
doing that. And it's not going to be, we're not going to, yeah, as you said, we're not going to go on a, a run of 10 wins in a row. Uh, we just haven't got the setup for that. Um, what he's done is he's let us keep possession better than we were before. And that's down to that midfield three, Garner, Kravinovic and uh, Cafu working together really, really well. Um as Tom said, in the Norwich game, we just sat back and let them have possession. And um, But I don't think... what The thing that really struck me with the Norwich game, I, I remember saying this in the WhatsApp group during the game, was I can't imagine us playing the way that Norwich played that game. Um, they had this really swash... And uh, I thought it was interesting, the, the um, Norwich guy that we did the match report with, he was like, "Yeah, I've not seen us come out the, the out of the blocks that fast before." Like, like Tom was saying, we we've taken the game to them when we've played well. They took the game to us right from the off, kept us on the back foot, and and then it was only when they let up that we actually started getting some possession in. But I can't imagine us ever playing that way, even no matter how good we are. The last time I can think we ever played that like that was probably under Paul Hart, which is what 15, 20 years ago. So that's that's the thing that. Well, yeah, we're, he steadied the ship. We'll probably, do, fingers crossed, we're going to do better next season. I'm not going to have any hopes about the playoffs or anything like that for next season because, as you say, it's the hope that kills you. But he steadied the ship. He's done what he needs to do this season and it's, we'll probably limp through being safe and that's that's a good result for the season. But there's there's still a long, long way to go. And we're not going to play that swashbuckling style. I can't see it. Mm. You've just said something really scary, which is it actually it is 20 years this summer since Paul Hart took over as manager. So that is worrying, isn't it? Um, Mr. Optimistic, I'm going to come back to you. I put out a poll and I said, where will Forrest finish? Playoffs, top half, bottom half or relegated? 3% went playoffs, 2% went relegated, 5% went top half. And 90% went bottom half. Given Forrest's running, do you think that we could maybe have a smidgen of hope getting into the top half? I think that's all it is. I think it's a smidgen now. Uh, a couple of games ago, we were, we were a lot closer to, the, to being in the top half. And the, the, the run of games we've had now where we haven't won since Derby, we're now eight points away from 12th. So you've got to make up quite a few points to get back up there. I think for me, it's just bottom half, but we're safe. I think that's all that matters. Um, and then we can, as Baz has just said, I think you can count that as a, a successful result of the season and then look to go again next year. Hmm. Merit on the Midlands. Uh, I also asked in the poll, who's your player of the season so far? I gave the options of Cafu, 5%. Garner, 17%, and Worrell, who got 78%. I also left the option there of someone else, please specify. And no one had any other suggestions. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Worrell's been the outstanding player this season by, by a country mile, which is worrying in the sense that he's probably attracted a lot of attention and you now do fear that he's going to get picked up in the summer by somebody, somebody else. Um, but yeah, there's not many players who can really say I've played well um, consistently. There's players who've had the odd odd good game, but the level of performance has been really bad all season for most players. Tom? Um, 
regarding the pollen, the other option, um, I, I don't know where we would be without the um, own goals. I think he's done really yeah. well this season. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Of all of all the signings we've made, that's been the top signing, hasn't it? Um, he's yeah. even been, I don't know, he must have gone on loan to Man United and stuff as, as well. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've heard that um, they're going to offer him a five-year deal. Just to, yeah, just on, keep, on big just, wages. Yeah, just to keep our heads above water for the next five years. Mm. Yeah, he'll he'll be he'll be sent out on loan to Olympiacos the year after though. Um, <laughs> so one of the other things I asked uh, Tom was, would you have Joao Carvalho back at Forest next season? Seventy three percent said yes, twenty seven said no. What are your thoughts? Um, it's a bit of a hard one because we spent quite a bit of money on him. Um, I, for what for. The money we paid for him, I'll just give him one last shot. See if we can, see if we can get something out of him on a consistent basis. And we're never going to see um, the thirty million back for, um, from him. But if if we can get a few million for him and just cut a loss as if it doesn't work out on his last chance saloon, let's say, um, I'd do that. But um, but it's up to Chris Hughton if he doesn't fancy him and. And he's going to stay out in Spain, and that might be is the only option for him. To be honest, if Chris Hughton fancies, let's say, tries to get Kravinovic on a um, permanent or another loan next season, if that's the case, then Cavallio's uh, not going to have a look in. So I just think it's been a bit of a. I mean, he's, he started his first career with decent promise, but he hasn't been consistent enough. And um, for what we paid, we we're not. We haven't got value for money out of the deal in my eyes, but other uh, other fans may beg to differ because it brings something. But those games where it does bring something and doesn't are too quite far between in my eyes. So I would I would just add in there that I think that actually we've signed Kravinovic, but it's a job that maybe Carvalho could have done because he receives the ball in the same areas. He can pick a pass in a similar kind of way. Baz, you want to say something? Uh, well, I, I have um, I have feelings for Jao Carvalho. <laughs> He's been my yeah. favourite player, and it's not just because of that video of him like dancing with his dog, is it? <laughs> no, but um, but actually, Kravinovic. So when you, when you did the poll, I wanted to say other Kravinovic because I think he's been instrumental in the way we play. Not it's uh, Garner's the one that's that's got all the plaudits for us holding the ball, but I think Kravinovic allows us to hold the ball higher up the pitch, and if we can keep Kravinovic and have Carvalho back, then Carvalho, Car- Kravinovic plays the way Carvalho should play. And Carvalho has the ability to do that. I don't think he's ever been shown how to do that because it's so different from the, the Southern European style. And so if he can do that and learn from Kravinovic, then I think we've got a decent player on our hands. But it's whether, whether that happens, obviously. Mm. Last question. So, uh, Stephen... Favourite NFFC kits this season? The red home shirt got 47%, the blue got 19%, the grey got 26 and they're all awful, which would have been my vote, got 8%. What's your favourite this year? Uh, I'll probably, I, I would go for the red one, uh, specifically now that it doesn't have a sponsor on the front. It's got a bit of a classic vibe to it, so I would go, I would go with the red. I will give a shout out here because our friends at Radiant Cleaners, who are a Nottingham based social enterprise, uh, we've been supporting them with their campaign to try and get charities on the front of the Forest shirt while there's been no sponsor. We've not really talked about that today. Um, I don't think there's a huge amount we can add, to be honest, but it would have been nice. Apparently, the official line from Forest was uh, they did look into it, but there were barriers in the way and we don't know what those barriers were. 
just finally, before we leave you for this month, a quick update on the Fan Hub leaderboard. So it is a campaign to put fans first to stop us just being cash cows. And uh, on match days, you can predict your starting lineup. You can do a remote check-in. And when we're back in grounds, you can check in at the ground and you get points for doing that. And the current leaderboard shows uh, Psycho Forest at the top with 87.88 points. Uh, somebody called Cloffy Pig, who may or may not be me, uh, is second and then someone called Amilka Forest who may or may not be Mrs Ferraro is in third place it's not a fix we're just really good at this okay now Baz you are currently 11th in the list there with a rather uh, whopping 20.91 points and uh, Topo you're not even showing on there Tom you're not even showing on there so so well done lads um, if you are interested in joining the uh, fan hub experience and getting behind the campaign then do send us a direct message on Instagram or Twitter. All of our details are on our page, 1865.football, and we can send you a golden ticket so you can get involved. That brings us to the end of the podcast for this month. So thank you very much to Stephen Topless, Mr. Optimistic, Tom Newton, Mr. Critical, the Marriage on the Midlands, Mr. Pessimistic, and Baz, Mr. Finance. And we will also say thank you to Jeremy Davis, Mr. Comedy, and to you, listener, thank you for sticking with us. We will be back soon with more match reports, opposition views, and a bit of fun along the way. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.